it is an incredible joy to be able to share with you some of the things that um, the Lord has been teaching me. Um, I started at the beginning of this year with the question, what does the gospel uniquely say to women? And um, it started about a six-month um, journey of study and took a course and read lots of books and talked to everybody I could think of that might have some thoughts and opinions and ideas on this. And um, so today what I want to share with you is not all of that because we would be here for quite a long time and you'd be really, really <laughs> saturated by the end of it. But some snippets from that season of study uh, some thoughts, some principles, some things that seem to be um, those things that the Lord was highlighting for this particular occasion. So I say that as a way of caveat because it's not going to be comprehensive. This is not sort of like the, <laughs> the be-all and the end-all, but th this is a sense, um, a, a bit of a, a la carte kind of compilation of some principles that the Lord has been teaching me and leading me into um, as I have pursued this question of what does the gospel uniquely say to women. And we've, we've named this session, May Our Daughters Be As Pillars. And I absolutely love that phrase. It comes from the text of Psalm 144. This is a psalm of David, and he's he is expanding, he's giving this beautiful visionary picture of what it looks like to be the blessed people of God. Psalm 44, starting at verse 12, he says, May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. Can you kind of envision that? That sort of thriving, the sons that are just bursting, they're, they're green and growing and well established, and, and it's just a, a glorious thing to behold. And then secondly, our daughters, like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. Now, that's the English Standard Version. It sounds a bit, I don't know, like stoic, doesn't it? Cut for the structure of a palace. I imagine these pillars, strong, straight, true. They're load-bearing pillars in the corner for the structure of the palace. But in the NIV, it says it slightly differently. It says, then our sons and their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. So you have another thought there. It's a thought of beauty. It's a thought of grace. There's an aesthetic value, which is so important to women. But strength and, yes, load-bearing and in this place of dignity and value. Dave is giving us this picture of women in this place, in this royal place, in a place where um, they're seen and they're valued. And I've, um, as I've kind of considered sharing today, I've recognized that we all come to this topic with different experiences and possibly different expectations and different teaching, different understanding. 
and my journey, uh, as Chad's mentioned some of this, this has been a journey of a lifetime. But um, to be honest, for many years serving in full-time ministry, I tried to stay as far away from gender topics as possible. I stayed away from women's meetings. I stayed away from all of it. And it just felt like it was too fraught with agendas and complications and emotions. And I just, I didn't have the energy for it, to be honest. But it was uh, about, well, it's a little bit over 10 years ago that our son started getting married. And we have three boys. And they're all amazing men of God. Uh, they're all fathers. And they married these beautiful women, uh, inside and out. And suddenly something happened in me, because I had daughters. They were daughter-in-laws, but I consider them daughters. And that issue of gender and women and how women are seen in the church and how women are valued in the church suddenly became really important to me, not for my sake, but for theirs. This mama bear thing rose up in me. And I'm like, Lord, we need to see some truth and some gospel clarity come to this issue so that the, the women, the young women that are rising up behind us don't have to fight this through in the ways that some of the older generation has. And it's become an issue for deconstruction. Men and women are losing their faith because this issue becomes used and weaponized against the church, and we're told that the church is patriarchal, and therefore, it must be irrelevant. And if this is an issue that is irrelevant, hmm, maybe so is the deity of Christ. Maybe so is the resurrection. It becomes a wedge issue that gets used against the church. So, we started this journey so Jesus, we come to you, and I just bring to you all of the myriad thoughts that I have and the way too many notes, and we bring you all of our hearts and our journeys and our stories and our experiences and even our wounds and our confusion and our uncertainty about what does the Bible say and what is your heart and what is the gospel for women. Is it exactly the same as for men, or is there something that's unique and special as well? And what would it look like for our daughters to be raised up? Our sisters, our mothers, to be raised up to be like pillars, not just in the palace, but maybe even in the house of God. Lord, we ask you to lead us and speak to us today. Like Chad, I was so thankful for the foundation that's already been laid. Stephen did such a phenomenal job of teaching on the image of God last night, and that saves me actually about three pages of notes, so you should all be very happy about that. <laughs> I went to bed last night. I was just lying in bed, just soaking in these thoughts of the glorious honor it is to be made in the image of God. I don't think we'll ever plumb the depths of that. And, you know, I think we've settled for a much reduced idea of what that means. You know, I've been told, oh, being made in the image of God, that means you've got body, soul, and spirit. There you go, three in one. <laughs> We're done. No, there is way more there than that. 
way more. And Chad, this morning, uh, particularly as he taught into this idea of um, our callings are not just individual, you know, kind of, I I'm off to do my thing. It's, it's not about just us being individually called, but we are called together, and we, uh, our callings are worked out in the places of community, that, that we don't run in an independent way. So these two ideas are super foundational to where we're going to go today. And we recognize that women and men are made in the image of God. This is the foundation of all of our callings. We were made with a purpose. And that purpose remains the essence of our callings. We have a corporate purpose and a general purpose for the entire body of Christ. We're, we're called to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the world with fruit, to subdue. We're called in the beginning with that Genesis commission, and we're called with the Great Commission to also be fruitful and multiply and make disciples of all nations. And we're called, we're all called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. These are general callings, and we are all called to it. But we also have unique callings as we are uniquely placed in our setting, in our time, in our family, in our church, in our work, in our neighborhood, with our individual makeup and personality and gifting. And there are works that we have been called to do since before the foundations of the earth, unique works, good works for the sake of the glory of God. So we also understand that in our original creation, which was entirely good, it became defiled and broken at the fall. And so we still suffer and struggle to regain that original purpose. We struggle and we suffer to, to seek to be that which God created us to be. And we can't do that in, on our own. And we recognize, it doesn't take long to recognize that we can't save ourselves. We need a redeemer. And so it is Christ it's in Christ that our callings, the original design, is restored. The made-in-the-image design is restored, but not to the garden version, to the heavenly version, to the in-Christ version, in the same way that his resurrected body was not just raised from the, bed, the dead to be like our mortal bodies, but it was filled with new heavenly life. There was a resurrection component to it, wasn't there? The new creation is, is all about all things being made new. And as we are in Christ, we are not going backwards, but we are going forward into the fulfillment of his vision for us. It's as if there is an elevation into this place of eternal union with him, which includes joining him in his mission. And we are called into that. And we are redeemed into that. But the creation story is still so important because it's the foundation of our calling. And it's a calling that both men and women share. And yet, Genesis reveals that there are also 
very important distinctions between men and women that we see laid out in the garden. And this is a really important place of truth intention. Have you heard that expression before? If you've been hanging around Via a little bit, you've heard that expression of truth being held in tension. You see, we are both created in the image of God for the purpose and calling of union with him and his coming on earth as it is in heaven. Men and women are both created for that, but at the same time, men and women are different. And there are other truths that, we, that need to be held in tension. And it is always hard to do that. It's uncomfortable. We try to wriggle out of the tension. We try to fall on one side of the truth so the tension is gone or the other side of the truth. And that ends up in error. It can even end up in heresy. For example, the truth of the Trinity. The Trinity is three and one. Which one is it, Sarah? Both. How do you get your head around that? Well, you actually can't. <laughs> but if we focus exclusively on the three person of the Trinity and leave aside the union of the Trinity, we end up essentially with three gods, don't we? Or if we minimize the three person of the Trinity and only focus on the union of the Trinity, we also end up in error. And so the Trinity is a, is a picture of, uh, of the mystery of God. It's a picture of, of truth being held in tension. And it's best described as union with distinction. Which one is it? Both. Union with, dis with distinction. And it is hard to get our minds around that. We, we step into this place of the mysteries of God. Another example is Jesus. Fully God and fully man. 100% God and 100% man. How does that work? How do we understand that? It's, again, a mystery. And if we, if we emphasize his divinity and minimize his humanity, we end up in error, we end up in heresy, to be, to be truthful. And if we emphasize his oh, the other way, <laughs> humanity, and minimize his divinity, we also end up in error. But that tension is always begging to be resolved. It makes us uncomfortable. Gender, I would propose to you today, is a truth intention. We are, um, we are the same, and we are different. It is really, in a, a very real way, um, union with distinction, if I can borrow that without being irreverent to the Trinity. <laughs> but we're made in the image of God, so maybe that works. It's union with 
distinction. There are so many things that are the same, and yet there are important distinctivenesses. Very important distinctions. When we emphasize only the sameness of men and women, and we are, we are prone to do that in our society today, we're, because we've, we've assigned value and hierarchy to distinction. And so when we say these two are distinct, the next question is, which one's better? Which one's more powerful? Which one is superior? No, that's the wrong question. We have men and women who are both equally made in the image of God, both equally filled with God's value and dignity, and the vision of God is so beautifully expressed in men and women. We are the same. We are both called into Christ. We are both filled with the Spirit. We are both commissioned to go to the nations. We are the same, but we are distinct. Yet, if we only emphasize the sameness of men and women, we end up in a form of androgyny, where men and women become interchangeable, where fathering and mothering are replaced with generic parenting, where celebrating the beauty and the goodness and the harmony of gender distinctives becomes discouraged, and it's even labeled as sexist. But God made us in his image. Male and female, he made them. In this place where we are um, trying to lean more into the idea of sameness, we often find that men become pressured to become more feminine and women pressured to be more like men. And there are all kinds of unintended consequences because men are naturally more aggressive as well as physically stronger. And so men can unwittingly set male measures of success and women are expected to function in male-shaped ways. This can touch identity and our sense of worth as women. However, if we overemphasize our differences, we end up separating with almost like hard lines between us. And this ends up leading towards an adversarial competition between the genders, where we have one that's superior to the other. Where women, this is, this is the case when, when women are subjugated and marginalized, where there is a, a bearing down upon women, and they are pushed aside, considered less important, have less to say, have less to contribute. That happens when the distinctiveness is emphasized and the sameness is overlooked. Men and women have sameness and have distinction. Even in the church, as we have tried to be helpful, we have often made overly prescriptive rules about women's and men's roles. I can remember um, when, when Mike and I first came to faith, we were in a church 
that was bursting at the seams with the Jesus movement, but soon it shifted into shepherding. And there, were, there came new rules about women's ability to contribute. Women were no longer allowed to speak in church. Women were no allowed to lead anything. Couldn't lead worship, couldn't lead... Yeah, everything had to be um, dominated by men. And the women became quieter and quieter and more and more submissive. This was a really unhealthy situation where women are subjugated and marginalized. And in the church, we've, tr we've tried to give some definition that was helpful, but it's actually ended up backfiring. This, this world where women are, were marginalized was the world that Jesus was born into. And it, it was a, a, a place where he took a stand and he radically elevated women and included them and emphasized the fact that they too were the same, that they too were made in the image of God, that they too were called to be disciples, that they too were called to learn and to teach and to share the gospel and to serve him and to minister to him. He empowered women in a, in a radical way. But I would suggest to you today that if the converse had been true, if men had been marginalized, that he would have elevated them. So sometimes we get this idea that Jesus was the great women's liber and that he was a feminist and all of these things, but that's actually not what was happening here. He was bringing the truth intention to play. He was saying, we've overemphasized the distinctives and it's meant that women have become marginalized we now need to re-include this idea of sameness. And women get included. And when Jesus travels in Galilee, he has women that are a part of his company. They travel with him. They minister with him. And it's not just the women that suffer in these places where we emphasize distinction over sameness. Men, too. Men in more recent days, have been attacked and canceled and branded as those with toxic masculinity. We've diminished the wonderful gift of masculinity in our men in an effort to make everyone the same. So, truth intention is vital. I really believe that we all need to be washed from the distortion and the defilement of the world's view of gender and be renewed in, a, in the biblical perspective that brings us all individually and corporately into this place of being fully alive, thriving together in Christ's redemption, valuing in each other, honoring each other, making space for each other, celebrating each other's distinctivenesses, differences. Let's look for a few minutes at women's distinctiveness. We can, we can talk about it, and we can come to a conviction that we need to think about it well, and we need to make space for it, and we need to value it, but if we don't really understand 
the distinctivenesses that women walk in and how women function, it's hard to do that. So sometimes women are uh, absolutely unintentionally pushed aside simply because we don't understand how women function. And so I want to take us through some biblical thoughts and um, teaching from, from Genesis on this, as well as just some, some things that are, are noted in terms of the you know, social sciences, the, the ways that they actually, um, uh, psychologists over decades and decades and decades of study have identified um, psychological differences between men and women that play out in the way that we function. These are general trends. These are not hard and fast rules. And these are, these are not value statements. So if they don't feel like they resonate or apply to you and you're a woman, it is not saying that there's anything wrong with you. It is saying that God has given you some specific strengths and differences that are there for a reason and for a good, that's a good gift to you. So these are, these are tendencies. But understanding each other, understanding the wiring of a woman, if you would will, helps us understand how women can be raised up as these beautiful pillars uh, in the palace of God, in the house of the Lord. As I mentioned, women are less aggressive than men. You only have to drive between here and Abbotsford and venture into what my husband calls the fast lane. <laughs> Catherine's laughing. She's done this lots. Within a heartbeat, there's going to be some young buck in a pickup behind you demanding that you ramp your speed up by about 20K. Is that not true? Yep. Men tend to be more aggressive than women. Not always, but that's the tendency. Men tend to place a higher, or women tend to place a higher priority on safety and security. Women tend to be more compassionate. Women tend to be more anxious. Women tend to be more accommodating and less comfortable with conflict. Women tend to be drawn more towards collaboration. There's probably more that we could say, but that's enough to give us a taste of what the psychologists are saying distinctive is distinctive between male and female. My son Victor, who's a pastor in a, a large church, was doing some hiring, and he said that, that men will apply for a job if they have about 50% of the qualifications that are listed on the job description, whereas women will need to have about 80 to 90% of those qualifications before they will apply for the job. It's a sign of our distinctiveness, right? Pastor Jen Wilkins, who's a, a pastor who works with Matt Chandler, is an Acts 29 church in Dallas, Texas. So she's a complementarian, just so you understand the, the frame that she's coming from. She says the challenge for any pastor would be to consider whether he is crafting a church culture that permits women to serve or one that pursues women to serve. Women actually need, in many ways, to be invited and pursued 
in a more intentional way than men do. It's an issue of our differences. But women don't just need encouragement. They need understanding of their core strength. And I call this our core muscles. The core muscles, our, our bodies are made in such a way that our arms and our legs move best when we have strength in our core. We function best when we have strength in our core. And that core for women is this function of mothering, a function of moving out of a place, of a, of a perspective, of a orientation, of a um, just almost like a, a worldview of mothering. Now, before you get worried, um, hold that thought. We're going to unpack it because it means a, a way, it's a way bigger idea than the ways that we might want to reduce it. Let's, look, let's go right back to Genesis and look at the women's distinction in creation. Here we have the original blueprint of God. Genesis 2.18. Women was created because it was not good for man to be alone. Not good. Her presence created the possibility for the goodness and the glory of union. In, it was in marriage, but it was not just in marriage. It was two very different genders walking in union in all kinds of ways. Yes, the most intimate expression of that is obviously marriage, but it's not confined to that. It's this possibility of two distinctly different genders united in common cause of loving God and bringing him glory and expanding his kingdom. She was created to be an azar. This is the Hebrew word that we translate to mean helper. Now, if you're like me, when I hear that word helper, my heart sinks. And actually, that's been weaponized, and it's been painful. Uh, I think many of the women in this room could identify with that pain. Oh, you're the helper. In our, in our Western worldview and our English use of that word, we think of it as the assistant, the junior partner, the one who, uh, you know, kind of does the grunt work. You know, some of you guys would be familiar with the idea of a, of a carpenter's helper. I've learned that from, from Mike. <laughs> There's a huge difference between a carpenter's helper and a carpenter, or, you know, gold steel carpenter. Like, there is a... There is a vast dis distinction there, and it is, that's not what the Bible says about helper. That's not the biblical use of that word. In the Bible, it, the best way that I would have to translate it is to say that a helper is an empowering ally. The only other place that this word is used in the Old Testament is for a military 
ally, someone that comes alongside. When you are besieged and you call out to a neighboring country to help, to send their army, that army is your helper. But most importantly, it's used, this phrase is used for the Lord. The Lord is my helper. He's not a junior assistant, trust me. <laughs> the Lord is my helper. There is suddenly an elevation into a place of partnership, of working together for the sake of the gospel that this text brings us that is so radically important. And we must hold on to this in the face of the world that is trying to bring about such conflict and confusion between the genders that we end up fighting against each other, we end up demeaning one another, we end up competing with one another. We are called to be empowering allies of one another, ones that complete each other because it is not good for man to be alone. It's not just in this passage in, in Genesis, however, but as you trace the idea all through the, the, um, the Old Testament, you have this idea of partnering of men and women. You often see men and women in teams, Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. There's these clusters, there's these teams of men and women working together for the kingdom of God. And in the New Testament, as the church walks out the redemption of Christ, women are radically included as partners and leaders in the gospel. Paul, in his letter to the, to the Philippians, speaks with great affection and honor of two women, Yodia and Sunichi. And I'm sure I've said her, her name wrong. I've tried looking it up on Strong's, you know, where you play the sound and you get the right pronunciation. And my goodness, I'm so thankful I don't speak Greek. <laughs> I'm going to call her Sunichi. <laughs> but Paul talks about these women. You see this in Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with you, Eudea, and I plead with Sunichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, to help these women since they contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my, of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. He's mentioning these two women, these two Philippian women, in the same breath that he's talking about Clement. And many of you will know that Clement became the bishop of Rome, one of the most prominent leaders in the church in that day. He's honoring these women. He's saying, these are the ones that contended for the gospel with me. They were empowering allies. They served alongside. Then we have, as we continue on in Genesis, the naming of the first woman. She's created to be this empowering uh, ally, and, and Adam calls her Eve because she is the mother of all living. Before she has a child, they hadn't experienced anything about childbirth at that point. He prophesies over her. And that prophecy 
becomes her identity and becomes a, a definition. Mother of all living. Adam is identifying those core muscles that are built into women. Right at creation, which enable her to, to partner in the gospel and to be a mother in the natural or in so many other ways. It's expressed in family, but it is in no way confined to that. And it is not just the first woman's name that speaks to us about these core mothering muscles. But we, we see when, the, when Adam and Eve fall, the results of sin impacts them differently. So there, is, there was sameness, but there's also distinction. Have you considered this? Adam, his, the result of sin in his life and in, in men's life is going to be that they struggle with their vocation and there is this place of frustration as they, as they seek to, to farm and to, to cultivate the earth. And for women, it's different. For women, the result of sin is different. The pain of sin hits them in the place of the family. Childbirth and relationship with their husband. And for those that are single, it's a bigger picture as well because there's, there, nothing is confined in a complete uh, sort of bubble way to the family unit. It all has this grand scope and where it speaks of a bigger thing within the family of God. Throughout the Old Testament, you see this idea of women as mothers. And in the New Testament, Jesus offers and brings us this beautiful idea of adoption. And he frames his church as the household of God. So the theme of family is central and everywhere. Ben Wertherington, which is, who is one of the most foremost scholars on women in the early church, observes that while Jesus affirmed the role of women in serving their natural families, he enlarged their sphere to serve the family of faith. Speaking of the women who traveled with Jesus, he says, quote, the transformation of these women involved not only assuming new discipleship roles, but also resuming their traditional roles for a new purpose. He's opening the door for women without telling them to abandon what they have been doing before. He's expanding the horizons. Now, when I talk um, about women having core muscles of mothering, even if I seek to clarify that it's not confined to, to raising children at home, um, there's, there's going to be some that maybe hear that even in what I'm saying because we've been told that in the past. And that's a part of what Jesus wants to wash off of us. Some of those places where we've been told that the only valuable place for a woman is to be at home with children. Because the Lord has so much more for, for women. But let us consider what some of the attributes of mothering that 
could find calling and expression in places like businesses, in places like politics, in communities, in neighborhoods, in fact, wherever God places women, whether it's in the slums of Calcutta, like Mother Teresa, or in concentration camps during the Second World War, like Cory Ten Boom, or on the throne of England, like Queen Elizabeth, or perhaps in a small home, in an in a obscure community, discipling revivalists, like Susanna Wesley, the mother of uh, John and George? John. John and Charles. There we go. <laughs> All of these functioned in this place of mothering. So what is the essence of mothering? that naturally expresses itself in vast and diverse callings that women walk out. I would like to give you some, some thoughts on this. And this has come from discussion with, with many women and um, kind of expanding this and plowing into this, thinking about how does mothering function and how could that look in a bigger scale? How could that look? One of the things that mothering involves is creating a safe, nurturing environment, a place for growth, healing, and maturity. The idea of nurture, that can happen in your community. That can happen. One of my daughter-in-laws is working with the government. Uh, she, that's her full-time job, and she works with refugees. She makes a way for refugees to come in to a safe nurturing environment in Canada. This could be in a community or in a family or, uh, or, or wherever that woman is centered. She could bring the presence of mother with her, the presence of God that is expressed in this place of being a mother. That, as the Lord talks about, he spreads his wings over us. He longs to gather us. He longs to nurture us. This can be expressed through the, these core muscles of mothering. It involves building community, gathering and connecting, hospitably including the newcomer and the outsider. Author Hannah Anderson says that the superpower of women is their ability to build community. Now, that doesn't say that men don't do these things. In no way am I saying that men have no, none of these abilities. But what I am saying is that these tend to be more strengths that women carry, and they are, the, they are in essence, the skill set or the, the perspective or the core muscles of mothering that are being activated in all kinds of different places. Community gathering and connecting. Think about Deborah, the judge. She says, village life in Israel ceased until I, a mother in Israel, arose. The community had deteriorated until she rose up into a place 
of leadership. Consider the way that microfinancing has been done globally in, in developing communities where women are giving, given loans to create small businesses because they create community. Another core attribute of mothering includes watching. You watch over your children. You keep an eye on the kids, right? What does that look like in a bigger place? It's the function of, of observing the quality of life of a child or a family. It could be, it's noticing where there is health and where there is need in individuals, in systems, in relationships, in communities. Another attribute of, women, of mothering is, is maturing, calling kids out of immaturity, calling children out of self-centeredness into an adult posture of self-sacrifice, which is necessary for them to grow into be fathers and mothers. This involves knowing when to intervene and knowing when to allow struggle to produce character. Mothering involves teaching. Mothering involves comforting. Comforting is the ministry of compassion and encouragement that gives space for grief and fear to be resolved. We all know the importance of the comfort of a mother. What a glorious ministry that is. And that, too, can be expressed in so many different ways and places. Some of the, the wonderful gifted women that are called into counseling ministry and prayer ministry, we see that expressed. There's other things that we could zero in on, but I'm going to stop there. I wasn't sure how many to list for you because the more I list, the more we become, um, there's a temptation to become too descriptive, which becomes prescriptive. And we, uh, the more we define it, the more people start feeling like, well, I'm not sure if I'm quite this or if I'm quite that. And we end up with an, a smaller picture than I want to cast. And so I'm going to stop there, but I want you to imagine for yourself, what are some of the things that I've seen functioning in my own life if I'm a mother or in others' lives that are images of how God uses uh, the body of Christ. And those are the things that, that we will see the most strongly expressed in the lives of women. Do men function in some of these ways? Of course. And it is not about hardline role restrictions. It's about inclinations. And there's actually some ways that we mother where there's really an overlap between fathering and mothering. Both men and women teach, for example. Both are different and both are needed. We were thinking about moving uh, just sort of this through the Old Testament. We began at Genesis. We, we thought about the creation story, but I want to take us now to the idea uh, that's expressed um, in the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. When God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, these became 
a foundation of the law. The very foundation of the law. They became the foundation of the ethics of our society. J.I. Packard calls them the blueprint for behavior. And Jesus taught us that every one of these commandments needs to be applied at a heart level as well as outwards. There's something that's, that has to be done in an internal way that expresses God's, God's transforming heart and his character that we want to walk out as we, as we live and, and function in this world. And the fifth commandment is this. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This remains the only commandment with a promise. Of those ten commandments, it's the only one that has a promise. It points us towards a path of flourishing as a community. It's a foundational key of honoring fathers and mothers who are men and women who in homes and in the family of God labor together. Men and women, whether they are single, whether they are married with children, married without children, whether they are widowed, divorced, men and women held in a place of honoring their fathers and mothers. And the scriptures say, we as a people thrive. In a sense, it goes well with us. It goes well with us when we honor fathers and mothers, where fathers are released to embrace their callings and mothers are released to embrace their calling. And when I say released, I'm not talking about running off in an independent way. As Chad emphasized this morning, we do this together as a family. We call women into a place of mothering, whether they're young or whether they're old. This function of mothering, this, this idea of nurturing, of building community, of strengthening, teaching, comforting, these virtues, these attributes, these strengths can function in so many beautiful ways. And when, when we build this into our community, what we see is that our daughters rise naturally to become pillars. There's space for them. They're shaped by the, by the cross, by their relationship with Christ, by the community. They're placed they're released into their callings. And at the same time, our sons flourish. It's not one at the expense of the other. It's a win-win. Men flourish when women are set in as pillars, when they're carved to be pillars, when they're established and released as pillars. The, the entire community flourishes. And so I've talked long enough.
And we're going to go into a time of, um, of reflection and prayer and ministry. Um, I think I've probably said some things that some have may felt a little unsettled with or a little jarring. And I knew that that was going to be the case going in. It's easier to teach on prayer. <laughs> Nobody says, I don't know, I don't agree that we should pray. Nobody, nobody has the courage to say that. <laughs> but I, I believe so deeply that God wants to bring healing and life and wholeness and peace to this place in our walking together. That there is a place of agreeing with God's purpose in creating us in a, a way where we are bone of bone, where there is a union between man and women that is so natural. And that we are both called to co-labor together for the sake of the gospel. But there are also distinctions. And there are, and there are ways that we need to support one another that are different for women than they are for men. And so I, I want to give us a bit of space to process this. And if you have found some of the things that I've shared uh, jarring or it feels as though it's, um, you know, hit a place maybe of, of uh, discomfort, even wounding, we're going to invite the Lord to, to speak to that. And I don't... Um, I'm not arguing or proposing or preaching in any way saying that I have everything nailed down tight. This is truth intention. And the center of truth intention is Christ. It's, it's the gospel. It's his way. And so we... As we, as we ask him to step into this place where there has been a lot of confusion and an awful lot of wounding and an awful lot of friction, we're asking him to show us the good way. We're asking him to show us the way of the cross, the way of life, the way where he redeems, and restores, and renews us. I felt earlier that, um, as I was praying, that the Lord actually wanted to do some washing in this time. To, to begin to wash some of our hearts, some of our minds. Wash experiences. I had this image of, of him with holy water pouring it out over us. Washing the defilement of the world off of us. The way that the world has uh, broken men and women and set us at odds against each other and brought such um, heartbreaking restrictions and confusion and it's been, it's been really, really hard for a lot of people. 
But I believe that the Lord wants to cleanse. And so if I've said things that feel hard or jarring or confusing, I would invite you to just to bring those to the Lord. Because in my journey, I have been kind of pushed this way and then pushed that way. And it's been really hard to find that place of the beauty of the gospel in the midst of it all. But here God has us in this place. And if we fix our eyes upon him and we follow the way of love, we submit one to another, and we do what the scripture says, that we honor our fathers and mothers, he's going to walk us through this path. And he is going to make a place for not just our generation, but the generations that follow. That there will be a good way, that there will be men and women that are in places of modeling what it means to walk together for the sake of the gospel. Those models will be there in the body of Christ. So young men and women have a place of, of, uh, of safety and trust. So as we present ourselves before the Lord, and just kind of focus the, our thoughts on this idea of the Lord wanting to wash us with holy water. I just invite you to bring um, the pain of your experiences to the Lord. The pain of your experiences around gender. Maybe this is something that's particularly acute for women in this room, but it's also something that men have struggled with. Perhaps concerning their own gender, but perhaps in trying to connect to women. And there's just been uh, angst and frustration and stridency and just, you've been sort of at loss of what to do. But I believe that the Lord wants to not just um, wash our experiences for the sake of healing, but for redemption. So it's not just washing them away and we forget about them, but there's actually a place of redemption where what the enemy meant for evil the Lord takes that, that's his raw material, and he makes it for good. And maybe we've suffered brokenness and rejection and all kinds of things in these places. He can take that and redeem it and use it for good. And we can ask him to wash us. And so I'm just going to pray for that right now. Father, we together just bring the pain of our experiences to you. Lord, we, we lift up those moments, those words, those situations, 
the confusion and the shame, the rejection and the frustration and the anger that was a part of all of that. And we just surrender these things to you afresh. Many have done this before, but Lord, we just reiterate that today. We surrender those things to you afresh. And we ask for healing. And we ask for redemption. And we ask that you would use these experiences to make us so soft and tender and responsive to your spirit. Truly would you allow what the enemy has meant for evil to be used in this generation for good. That we would find a new place of standing shoulder to shoulder. Find a new place of honoring one another. Find a new place of identifying the beautiful distinctivenesses of the genders. Would you wash us? And there's another place of washing that I feel like the Lord wants to do today as well. Um, and it's the place of washing off of us any sin that's been associated with this conflict around gender. and our confusion and our struggle around gender. And so, Lord, we just bring to you uh, where we have diminished the opposite gender. Just I think of so many things, even you know, on TV or words you would hear in social media that diminish men, that put men down. Lord, if we've participated in that, if we've made that a joke, if it's, if it's had, it's not just been a, a, a lighthearted tease, but if there's been a hook in it, if there's been an anger in it, if there's been a, a barb in there, Lord, we just repent of that. We bring our sins to you, Lord, where we've diminished the opposite gender. For women to men, for men to women, and where we have actually diminished our own gender. I know that there are many women that have struggled with misogyny, who they actually don't like women. They demean women themselves. And Father, we ask that if, if we've demeaned our sisters, if we've looked down on our sisters because we're women, because they're women, Lord, we pray that you would wash us and cleanse us and forgive us. In small ways and in larger ways, if we've done that intentionally or just subconsciously, if we've preferred the man over the woman, Lord, we ask that you would wash us and cleanse us and forgive us. And there's a third place of, of washing that I felt the Lord wanted to do. And that he would wash our doubts away. 
where we've maybe um, didn't believed, didn't believe that your ways were good, that your gospel was good news for women, that it was less than good news for women, that it was disappointing for women, that it wasn't all that we had hoped it could be for women. Lord, we just bring those those doubts to you. The doubts around trusting you. The doubts that ended up becoming the, the, the place that the, the world would, would step into. The enemy's voice would loom large and say, yes, see, you, you God can't be trusted. Lord, we pray that you would wash us of those doubts. And finally, we pray that you would wash our emotions. We bring our emotions to you, Lord. Residual places of anger, of shame, of rejection. We bring those to you, Lord. And we ask that you would cleanse us, wash us. Let today be a new start, a new beginning, a new step into in a sense, a renewed baptism in you, a renewed washing in you, where the transformation of your gospel rises up and gives us new life. You make all things new. You make all things new, God. I've just invited um, Alexa and Chad, Jess and Stephen to come and pray over us as well and just add their voices to, um, to some of this that we are bringing before the Lord in this hour. So just if you guys want to come up and anything that you felt to share, Anything that you'd like to pray? I was just struggling to find the scripture where it talks about the consequence for women. Um, I don't know if you know specifically, but um, not that I have a conclusive, the Lord said this about that scripture, but it's something that I wrestled over. Um, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Um, So what I just feel um, powerfully um, resonating from Sarah bringing this message forward is that um, God comes to declare himself to his people. And so, of course, he would come in female form and declare himself. 
in the form that he intended to communicate those aspects of himself. So um, when you had mentioned, you know, sometimes some of these things will come um, with some, like, resistance. We'll feel like it's it's hard to, like, we'll wrestle with some of the things that you're talking about. Um, I feel like it should be no surprise that um, it's hard for us specifically depending on the voice in which the message comes for us to receive it and um, like when it talks about in Genesis um, that I've heard other ways that it's um, written where a woman's desire will be against her her husband's and um, I find that women often want this message to come from a man they actually well why don't you see me why don't you know me um, and I think that um, it's often our misalignment, um, and this this just felt like so uh, relatable to the fact that I got a back adjustment this week, and it feels like all of society needs a, just a bit of a shift where you almost that he aligns you so your eyes change direction, and you go, that's where the Lord is directed me and all this time I've just been slightly off course and I've looked for this affirmation in the wrong place um, and when you talk about women having struggle with women um, never before have, have I felt more affirmed than when I see myself in someone else um, I recently my daughter and I have been looking through ADHD diagnoses I was just talking actually uh, with Catherine about her diagnosis with gluten and it just like makes everything make sense when you find someone else who has all of those things all the the boxes check off your symptoms make sense and you go oh that's what it is that's what I've been missing um, and when the Lord comes fully embodying who you are in another form um, and it's hard for you to accept that or to hear that from that form, I would say God is here to bring this message intentionally. It's not by accident. It's not through the wrong filter, um, but your back might need adjusting um, to hear this is God himself speaking um, the message. So I just wanted to thank you for being willing to share. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, um, I feel the Lord's heart saying that um, for the sake of everyone, he will come to the one, like when he goes after the one who feels so separated and so alone. And I know women sometimes feel marginalized, but there's, I think there's even more of a deeper loneliness. Um, <clears throat> that the Lord comes intimately, intentionally, so descriptively, to make you seen and known. <clears throat> but the truth of that is that every little sheep that goes off is our brother and sister 
and how much more whole are we when we bring in the marginalized or the <clears throat> those who have been set aside and like with an aback adjustment when God sets one thing right everything else seems to make sense so not just for the sake of um, the one who feels like even marginalized within women um, and then more so not even just for women but for all mankind Lord we receive your adjustment in this area and we know that it takes time and um, and it takes uh, a little bit of getting used to when you readjust I pray Lord that you would readjust all of society that for the sake of men women would become fully women and Lord I pray for men who have felt the burden to take on that adjustment that you would lift that burden Lord that you meant to come and declare yourself through women in this way that confidently and fully alive women would live into your call to declare who you are. Lord, I pray that you would bring peace through this message of your calling. That when you come to make yourself known, it's the gift of salvation that's only meant to be received. And some, this topic's been so controversial, so confusing. And you come to bring peace and to draw near to the brokenhearted. Lord, I pray that those who are um, most broken, even in this room, Lord, that they would be like torchbearers of this topic. Lord, that the gift of their suffering would be that they would carry this um, and know your heart for this better than most. For me, this is a topic that hits really close to home. And um, 
All I could think of, though, as I've been here today, is how healing this community has been. And how grateful I am for that. And how surprised I am <laughs> by that. And I think, I guess, as Sarah was sharing, I was just thinking about how I do have hope and that this is actually possible. And that's how I know what you're talking about. Um, it, it's connected to the gospel. It has to be. And um, I, just, I also just felt, as you were sharing, just this idea of truth intention, and specifically how there's, there's so much tension around this in our society right now. And I know I have, I have felt and carried and been pulled back and forth by that tension for years. And just this, I felt like God was just inviting us to step in to the right kind of tension. And that the world is going to continue to pull and try and get us to go um, into the wrong kind of tension. The tension that doesn't lead to truth. And so... Yeah, that, that's just what I want to pray over us is that, Lord, would you continue to draw and bring us into your tension, the tension that is full of your truth, that is full of goodness, that is full of life, that is full of peace. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a new strength um, and a new grace to be able to, to set aside the tensions that are not from you the tensions that are intended to pull us apart are intended for strife rather than um, for strength and for connectedness. And so, Lord, um, yeah, would you just create spaces for us to enter in to the right kind of tension, the tension that is full of your truth? Um, and would you give us just a new capacity to be able to turn from the one, the, the tension that is not from you, God, um, and that isn't worth our energy? Um, yeah, would you, would you help us to put our energy in the right places around this so that together we can experience um, the fullness of life, um, the fullness of vocation, the fullness of being human, the fullness of who you've made us to be, God? Yeah, God, so I just pray that that would consume our energy um, and that we'd find joy um, and just renewedness in that kind of tension, Lord. I don't know if you ever have moments like I'm having right now when you you sit in a room and you see this incredible group of people, but you, you also think, man, I wish the world was here to hear and to, to experience what we're experiencing right now. I think uh, part of my prayer is that, and Sarah and I talked about this, that this, and I, I just want to make this commitment, that today doesn't start and end a conversation, start and end a learning but that this is something that we are going to lead you into as a church. That, uh, could it be this is part of the fire in our bones? That God's called us to missionally inside of this West Coast. 
the tension is up there. It's really up there here. And if in the midst of that, the Lord would put a fire in our bones that may actually bring people to the gospel. You know? Wow. I don't want to add anything to what was taught today. I just want to say thank you. And I want to just express my commitment to this as your priest. I say that we want to run together and together to image Christ to the world. Yeah. Jesus, uh, thank you for the gift of today. It's a feast, the presence of God. coming to the creator and asking you to explain to us your creation, not the other way around. So would you continue to lead us? Thank you for incredible people like Sarah who would devote such heart and prayer and study on all of our behalf. Lord, let us hear what you have to say. Continue to teach us, to shape us, to free us, to see each other love and serve each other well. And Father, I pray especially for the men in this room and the men in our community. Teach us, God. Minister to our hearts and let us be, let us know the healing power of Jesus that we might be able to walk in integrity, in humility, Let us by your spirit respond to the desire that Jess articulated to hear these kinds of things from the heart of men of God. going to grab my guitar in a minute and we're, we're just going to spend a moment and just remain in this place of quiet and of prayer before we break for, for dinner. Um, Henry Nowen, who has been a, just a real gift to me in his writings, often talks about our tendency to like rush in and out of the presence of God and into these kinds of moments and, I, and he talks about how detrimental he thinks that is to our health. And I couldn't agree more. And so I just wanted this afternoon before we break to go and just have dinner and then to continue to prepare our hearts for tonight that we would just take a moment of prayer together. Uh, and so I'll grab my guitar and we'll sing together. But before we do, I'm just going to make some space for you to just think about this day. And maybe part of it is even just where you're at right now in relationship to what we've been talking about. Okay, I, I am going to say that I, when we talk about the image of women and the intended heart of God for women, one of the most profound ways it has been distorted in our world has been in the air, is been be, in many ways because of the good old internet. And that, that distortion hasn't only touched men's lives, it's touched the whole of our 
And so even as we're doing that, if we're going to walk into what Christ wants, there's a washing that's needed. And that was just really sitting with me today. And so that not, not to share it so that there comes shame. Like, Jesus doesn't deal in that. But that there come an opportunity for healing and freedom. And so if in that space even, you'd like prayer before you leave for dinner today, please, please come and find that. I'd be happy to pray for you. Sarah, we got many. You have friends here. Like, just don't leave this place if you're still feeling like, oh, I need prayer today. I need somebody to see me today. And I need to be able to ask very specifically for freedom here because I don't think I can step into what it is that is so exciting here if I don't do that. It felt just I needed to share that. Um, and then a few of you, I think prophetically, the only other thing would just be... I, I, a lot of the time our relationship we talk in the church quite freely about we use this term father wounds and we can say it and it's pretty common we talk about this idea but the same is true with our moms and so some of you have relationships with your mothers some of them have amazing that's not really the point same with fathers it's just in our experience we've had moments and spaces and so again, as we talk about these things, if the Lord's highlighting things around your relationship with your own mom, the mothering heart that you experienced in your life, and you'd like prayer before you head for dinner, please get that before you go. We would love to pray for you. Just that these washings would come, that we would be set free. Those things are hindering our ability to walk in the vision that Sarah casts for us today. All right, so I just bless you with your love. Yeah, so this is required.